0: so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash Enterprise Data to learn more.
1: I'm Stacey Marie Ishmel, Managing Editor of Crypto for Bloomberg News. And this is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily Bloomberg iHod podcast. It's Monday, March 6th. been three months since one of the most influential crypto exchanges in the world collapsed into bankruptcy. FTX's demise brought with it a wave of financial uncertainty and frankly distress in the crypto industry. And it also had a very significant effect on the small islands where the crypto exchange had established its headquarters, the island nation of the Bahamas. To be clear, this is not the Caribbean's first financial crisis, and history suggests it won't be the last. But it is perhaps one of the highest profile losses experienced to date, and potentially the most damaging so far. And it comes just as islands in the region try to diversify away from tourism revenue. The Bahamas had high hopes that an ambitious financial sector would help it achieve its goals. Crypto was a big part of that game plan, and now FTX is gone. Can the Bahamas fill the gap left in its financial sector? Will the nation still be a hub for digital assets? Bloomberg's Katanga Johnson has been reporting all about this, and he joins me now. Katanga, welcome to the podcast.
2: It's so good to be here.
1: I'm kind of happy that you're still talking to me because I feel like the last time I called you, then you were like in a place for a very long time, <laughs> <Sort> of, <laughs> perhaps unexpectedly. This is, this is one of the downsides of saying yes to the crypto team. Chaotic things happen. What happened Exactly.
2: What happened in the Bahamas was essentially a nation's attempt to rebrand itself, not just as this long-standing financial haven that welcomed uh, banks and insurance companies and realtors and all sorts of, of other institutions, but one that could welcome new entrants to the financial industry with a set of rules, albeit rules that were still immature that still needed, like, room to grow, but it was an opportunity, right? You have the perfect uh, company that uh, made its way to the shores, as well as this set of regulation that preceded the company's arrival. That company, of course, was FTX, right? And the Bahamian government, financial professionals in the regulatory compliance space, uh, as well as uh, everyday Bahamians who, many of whom might have spent some time, like, learning about crypto because they you know, were exposed to it in the United States or others who were just hopeful that maybe this could be the new frontier finance. A lot of people welcomed it for different reasons. And what happened was this, essentially, as people described to me during my seven, almost eight weeks there, there was a lot of hope put into FTX, its promises, its investments, as being a part of the future. And then realistically, sort of uh, a reckoning with realizing that, oh, the right checks and balances to make sure that this company could thrive and could be successful, essentially we're not, we're not quite there.
1: Why was it so important to the Bahamas to try to attract companies like FTX in the first place?
2: There is this longstanding understanding of the Bahamas being uh, a financial paradise. And I think over time, over the last, perhaps we can say from the last financial crisis and the ways in which they may or may not have been tie-ups with companies that were headquartered there, the country was trying to change its reputation to become a more stringent financial haven, if you will, or more like Mm tax-friendly, rather than just being a a tax haven, if you will. That subtle change meant that the regulations that, the DARE Act, the Digital Assets and Regulated Entities Act, Regulated Exchanges Act, rather, that act was meant to be this sort of premier unveiling of how they were, over the past decade, serious about changing its reputation in the marketplace, uh, as well as a race to the finish. Larger industrialized nations like the U.S., of course, hadn't quite come to a consensus about whether there was a need for regulations entirely. And, of course, other nations uh, were also attempting to ready their own regulations. And I think the Bahamas caught wind of that and thought we're going to we're going to be first and was successful in that regard.
1: As you say, you mentioned the DARE Act, right, the Digital Assets and Registered Exchanges. When was that introduced and what was it designed to really achieve?
2: The DARE Act was introduced in 2020, and essentially it was designed to be just a, a, a bare-bones framework to show that the Bahamas was willing to welcome uh, what would be an ex- sort of an exchange, a dialogue between registered you know, digital asset providers and, and crypto companies in thinking through, like, so here are the regulations. In response to this, how do you, crypto company XYZ, Plan to help enhance this suite of regulations and show that with regulations you can you can do what's right essentially that you can be innovative and you can make commitments and carry on carry on in that way and uh, we had an opportunity to speak to the chair of the Securities Commission of the Bahamas, Christine Harel, who described it as robust but essentially it was it was still very much immature that is to say it needed room to grow. And that's only possible when faced with certain risks. Uh, the Dirac, though, she made clear and others came well before FTX started to court the Bahamas. And it really was a way for the country to sort of race to the finish in, in trying to beat out its counterparts in the region. But essentially, it was it was meant to be a suite of regulations that would, over time, with the regulators' sort of inspections and examinations of the companies that would fall under it, help improve it, help to make it better. In fact... There was already a preparation this year uh, that started, I guess, last year to sort of enhance it. There's a draft, there's a mock-up of an amendment to it, and that was what the country pointed to as showing that it was already starting to take into account not just FTX, but other, I think there were at the time maybe eight that were registered. That number, of course, uh, fluctuates depending on a company's standing, but they were hoping to make it better and make it robust. But they made it clear that it was a welcoming post but it, need, it would only be fortified over time.
1: When you were there and, you know, talking to folks who had either known Bankman-Fried, known other folks from FTX, or had been affected by the collapse because they had local employees, for instance, what was the sentiment of the people who were trying to figure out what had happened?
2: When the company said that they had gotten approval to allow withdrawals for clients in the Bahamas, that approval they described was really an exchange between the regulator and the company and this i think bankman freed sent the email on behalf of the company to say that if you do not respond to this request and this would have been the thursday before the major withdrawals if you will or into the midnight of friday morning that friday morning november 12th if i'm not mistaken this exchange just said that if you don't respond to this note then we will carry on with this plan to allow clients in the bahamas to withdraw because we don't want to and I think the language was spoke to the fact—the sentiment was we don't want to piss off the, the Bahamian government or in any way ruin the relationship we have with our clients and the people here. Um, but that wasn't a direct nod by the regulator, to be fair, of them saying, yes, you can allow that. But the understanding, I think at the time, though, before this was made public, was that is Bankman Freed in cahoots with the Bahamian government or with the regulator or both? Did clients in the Bahamas get special privileges that clients all around the country— Pardon me. All around the United States, all around you know certain parts of Asia and elsewhere didn't get. And if so, why is that? Uh, we now know what that exchange looked like, but at the time, it was a point of contention. Uh, there were reports of people flying in on private jets trying to bribe those clients in the Bahamas to help other clients, these global clients, sort of like offload or you know withdraw their their funds. There were even discussions about whether certain banks were involved in allowing that during that particular window. But I think. That confusion, that lack of clarity, particularly around those withdrawals, is, is still a sore point for a lot of people who feel as if they were shortchanged. Even if like if we, we take what explanations Bankman fried has given around the decision making about mismanaging funds, people still st- that particular window of time is still a, a, a sore point for a lot of people on the ground.
1: Up next, you'll hear more from Bloomberg reporter Katanga Johnson on what's happening with the Bahamas post FTX. We'll be right back.
3: Start your journey at steeple.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com.
1: Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Now, when you went to the Bahamas and you know, I remember we were like, hey, can you go to the apartment? Hey, can you find <laughs> can you find the jail? Hey, it was just this like whack-a-mole of assignments. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. what things like stood out to you in terms of the first few days, particularly before he was officially arrested? And then Afterwards, like as people as it was sort of sinking in for more and more people in the island that this was real and happening.
2: It was remarkable that the layman, the everyday Bahamian, uh, really did communicate to me, at least, that they thought, "Oh, this is all some big misunderstanding. It can't mm-hmm. be the case. This person is truly hiding after being so public and engaged in the community." Right? Former employees had it. You know, they were singing a different tone. They people were cautious in talking to me, but generally, the consensus was. Whatever the issue was here, there must be an explanation around wh- where the funds are. So even if um, even if uh, th- there's a concern about uh, whether Sam is complying or not or, or, or what happened, that there must be some bigger explanation. And I think uh, as I look back, it, it really speaks to the fact that what had gone on wasn't fully communicated to staff at a certain level, right. even among the compliance staff that were on the ground, many of whom were Bahamian the company made a lot of good faith efforts in terms of, and there have been reports about this, right? People would talk about uh, the sort of parties they hosted and how people were invited to attend those parties at a staff level, and they were so extravagant. Uh, people reco- you know, recounted the ways in which many of the employees might have left like really good civil servant jobs or left their jobs at other financial institutions and like double their salary by working there. Or, you know, people would describe Knowing that, oh, here was the beginning of what seemed to be a company that I think up to sixty of the, say, one hundred and twenty staff members were Bahamian. So there was like equity in that way, and they were well paid, and they were able to expense meals or groceries and the like. These are the kinds of things people described, and and they would they would describe it in a way to say that's a, a, a company that puts a value on its staff. And its reputation in this way is unlike other financial institutions. So it's it's that the novelty of crypto almost makes it seem cool and exciting, not just because of the product itself, but because of the culture. of how they behave. So
1: they felt taken care of. People felt taken care of indeed.
2: And, and they felt that uh, because of that, whatever was happening uh, with respect to uh, these withdrawals and the funds, it could all be explained. But that quickly changed, didn't it? Especially among people who who didn't, there were even people in the Bahamas who didn't benefit from being able to withdraw their funds. And those people were the most adamant that something uh, didn't quite smell right, as they'd say. And people would even point to some signals from the Big Crypto Bahamas conference that took place months prior, but didn't quite understand what it was. They too were perplexed, given what they knew about the company and its culture, what they knew about the cast of characters at the highest level, and what was happening now.
1: You reported on the jail and the detention conditions that Bankman-Fried was in. Was there any perception in the Bahamas after he was arrested that he was also getting kind of a different tier of, um, I don't know, cozy custody than might have been afforded to local residents?
2: At the onset, it seemed that he would be treated like everyone else the night he was arrested. But that quickly changed. The next day when he appeared at his arraignment hearing, one distinct moment that comes to mind is that the hearing had started on time. He appeared. And before he was even able to introduce himself, there was a question about whether his night's stay uh, was pleasing or suitable for him. And the judge, the presiding judge, so that question, like, you know, sort of Wow! Mind is
1: blown. Was your stay in prison okay, sir?
2: Was your stay in prison okay? Just you know, just for that evening before we even get to the heart of the matter, and and then there was this pause. You know, he then described needing certain medicine for his ADHD, uh, for I think perhaps other conditions that might have included insomnia and then his allergies, and one of them were, was prescribed. I think the other two were not. Uh, the ADHD was uh, prescription was prescribed, not the allergy and the insomnia prescription. And the hearing was held. There was a recess called for about an hour, hour and a half, so that his family members who were with him could be accompanied by police to drive across town, maybe thirty minutes away, maybe less. Right, if you're in a you know police motorcade or caravan, to get his medicine so that he can. able to take it before it starts and and that's a in many ways a basic human right but it stands in stark contrast to the prison in the bahamas where of course there have been complaints even as high as um the u.s government sort of criticizing the country in some ways for the conditions of the prison and people kind of pointed out how his treatment was much different even though there were these allegations against him at this point you know weeks into the initial news breaking of what would have gone so that was one interesting tidbit Over the course of the next week or so with various hearings, however, things did, what one might have expected with that sort of initial theatrics, though, at the end of the day, didn't, didn't, he, he, his, his, you know, bail request was denied. And it seems now like it was all just a a, a funny, funny joke to, to sort of start the day.
1: What an interesting time. Now, I find, because I am from an island in the Caribbean, Trinidad, that most people think they understand, but have like extremely narrow, (laughs) you know, definitions of like, this is what this island was like, this is what Trinidad is like, this is what the Caribbean is like. What for you was the most common misconception about the Bahamas or about the people in the Bahamas or about regulators that you had to attempt to dispel in the process of your reporting on this story?
2: Stace Marie, like you, I am also from a nation in the West Indies. I'm from the Bahamas, which made this story so exciting. You know, but first and foremost, I see myself as a member of the press, as someone who is pursuing truth. And I went in with that particular, like, understanding of what I was doing and tried to engage with people, even people I knew in the same way. One observation I made, though, was that uh, in some ways, you may think of the Bahamas as a place that's sleepy and quiet and that people are not as informed of maybe the risks of Dancing with the devil, if you will, right? Sort of sort of not taking seriously what could go wrong when you're courting such a novel, you know, engaging in such a novel industry and going further than even again, as we established, right? Even the US went in terms of codifying regulations around around crypto. I think it kind of shows, and this is the nation's 50th year of independence, it kind of shows that the nation's ready to be bold and sort of take off the training wheels. And that comes with a big risk, and this hopefully is a learning lesson. But um, the way I see it based on just the dozens of people I spoke to and continue to engage with, I think it's turning out to be that this might have been the best thing that ever happened to the Bahamas to help it mature in a way that it had hoped it would by even welcoming FTX to begin with.
1: Katanga, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. That was Bloomberg reporter Katanga Johnson. You can find more of his reporting on the Bloomberg Terminal and on Bloomberg.com. And of course, be sure to check out our twice-weekly crypto newsletter, Bloomberg Crypto. This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Send us your comments, questions, or suggestions for the show to crypto at Bloomberg.net. The supervising producer of Bloomberg Crypto is Vicky Vergolina. Our senior producer is Janet Babin. Our producers are Mohamed Farouk and Sharon Bariro. Our associate producers are Tai Butler and Moses Undum. Desta Wanderad is our engineer. Original music by Leo Sidrin. I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael. We'll be back tomorrow.
3: Success. It's discipline. It's teamwork. It's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. It's what Stifel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing global wealth management and investment banking firms in the industry. Stifel. It's where success meets success. Start your journey at Stifel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com.
1: Stifel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE.